welcome. Thank you for joining us here at AmazingLove.org. And, uh, you know, it's been a dream of mine to reach people all across the world with a message of Jesus and his love. And so whether you're joining us from near or far, so glad that you're here. And we'd love to hear what God is doing in your life. So if he's blessed you by this ministry, please email us at impactatamazinglove at gmail.com. If you'd like to support this ministry and make sermons like this possible every week ongoing, please go to amazinglove.org and go to our giving tab. But now may God bless you. May he guide you. May he speak into your life and direct you all through the power of his love. Thank you. Your friends gathered. I invite you just to pray with me if you're comfortable. Let's just ask God to bless the preaching of his word. It's his word. Heavenly Father, the psalmist said that one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Would you give us that joy? Would this be our harbor? Would this be our place of peace? And Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight, for you're a rock and our redeemer. Amen. Good to see you and, and welcome once again. You know, uh, some good things are happening here at Amazing Love. In fact, if we keep bringing guests and visitors, we'll have to go to two services. And is that a good thing? Yeah, and that means I want to just welcome guests and visitors. We built this place for you. And we just hope you feel like a VIP, that you're cared for, that you're loved on. Feel free to ask questions. Feel free to kick the tires. We're just, just thankful that you're with us. But with that, uh, you've come on a great day because we're starting this series called The Space Between Us. And I love that picture. Found this picture between a couple. Uh, but this isn't about marriage. This isn't just about dating. This is just about relationships. And, and I want to give a just shout out to all our single people, okay? And I want to tell you, if you're single, do you know you're not less than? Because sometimes you get this impression that maybe I'd be better if I were married. Maybe I'd be better if I had things figured out. But I want to just tell you, if you're single, you are not less than. I'll give you two examples of that. First of all, there's Paul. Paul, who followed Jesus and said, actually, I think it's a gift. It's a gift because now I can be dedicated solely to Jesus. Versus when you get married, your attentions are divided. Right, married people? They are divided. It just happens. And then the second example I'd give you is Jesus. So you're more like Jesus, and we just want to say that. Jesus was single. Anyway, um, but, but we're in a relationship series, and, and here's the thing. We all have relationships. Single people, married people, kids have relationships. And, and relationships are very, very important. In fact, I want to get to the first point. The first point is this, that I believe the quality of our relationships have a significant impact on the quality of our lives. Let me ask you, has your mood ever been dictated because someone else was feeling a certain way? You were like all rosy, you were all good, but you got around someone who was feeling a certain way and you got that bent just being by around them. You know what I'm saying? But let me put it this way. You're having a fine day, but someone else wasn't and now you weren't and, and, and your day was just dictated because you were around certain people and, and you're, you're influenced that way. You know what I'm talking about. In fact, in, in our culture, we have phrases that speak about the influence others can have on us. Um, let me see if you can fill in this phrase. This is your first quiz. Happy wife, happy? Yeah, you know it. Or I was finding some signs, you know, that, that point also to uh, this, and, and I, I found um, this one. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. I'm not sure what she's doing with the rolling pin. Not sure she's making cookies there. Um, I was trying to find like the manly equivalent of this. Here's what I found on, on almighty Google. Um, they said, if daddy ain't happy, nobody cares. 
All right, I, I get where we see. So there is influence, but maybe there's not like equal influence in the relationship. I see where this is going, okay. Um, but, but, but it's true, right? Like the, the, the people we surround ourselves with, they, they leech on us. They do something to us. They affect how we go. In fact, that's why if you're a teen, if you're a young person, your parents kind of like throw hissy fits about who you choose or don't choose to hang out with. If you're dating, they throw hissy fits over, over what you're bringing home, and, and rightly so. See, parents have learned a thing or two about influence. You know, Scripture actually talks about influence. I want to give you one scriptural support. Look at what it says here. It says, bad company can corrupt good character. Bad company can corrupt good character. This is what it means, and especially if you're a Christian. That means if you're a Christian, you're going into a dating scenario, and you're saying, I know he's bad, but I'm going to change him. (laughs) I got a scripture that speaks directly against that. Directly against that. That every time you think you're going to change, they change you. They change you. That's why they're concerned. Your parents are concerned about your friends, concerned about who you date, concerned about the influence. Let me tell you another scripture. I was reading about Solomon. You guys know Solomon, maybe? I love to refer to Proverbs because he's like the wisest guy who ever lived besides Jesus, right? But do you know the wisest guy who ever lived made the dumbest relational decisions? Isn't that ironic? Where's Alanis Morissette when you need her? Anyway, um, (laughs) the the wisest guy um, makes the dumbest relationship decisions. And what she does is is he surrounds himself with women who don't follow God, women who who worship the the false gods. And, And what happens is it leeches onto him. And you may know him that he built the temple of the Lord, an ancient wonder of the world, a magnificent temple. Do you also know he built a shrine for Asherah? Do you also know he built something for the the, the god of Molech, which was just detestable? Solomon is a point in case of how relationships influence us. And and some even say that Solomon might have lost his faith for a while. Maybe he came back at the end, but we don't know. But just because of his relationship decisions, his faith was affected. Now you've come here, and um, how many of you would say you want a good relationship? How many of you just crave good relationships then? Yeah, that, that's me. That's why we're doing this series. And, and, and I believe that that is possible. I believe that it is possible to have really good relationships no matter the status of them right now. And so here's the goal for the series. It's to gain tools to navigate any relationship well and to increase or begin our appreciation of a relationship with Jesus. Here's what I know. When Jesus is in the midst of any relationship, any situation, miracles are possible. Things that didn't make sense are possible. That you thought there was no going forward, there is going forward when Jesus is in the midst because that's just what he does. He's amazing. There is hope. There is healing. Do you believe it? Amen. That's what we're going to talk about. So what I want to get into is to the Word of God. And that's what we're going for today. And today's section, I think if relationships are your deal, you just need to ruminate over Romans chapter 12. This is just jam-packed with relational wisdom. You just need to get these thoughts in your mind, and I believe it will help and it will guide you. So let's turn there now, okay? Uh, Written by Paul, Romans chapter 12. We're going to read this whole section, and I'm going to pick it apart a little bit. Can't cover it all, just as a heads up, but I'm going to pick it apart. Romans 12, it says, Love must be sincere. We're going to talk about that. 
Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position and do not be conceited. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful, rather, do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written in his mind to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Oh, my friends, I can't even, like, scratch the surface of the wisdom that's found there. In fact, I'm really going to cover, like, three phrases in that whole section, but I don't think we're going to get past this in this series, so don't worry. If you're like, he didn't cover it all, don't worry, come back, all right? Don't worry, come back. This is going to be jam-packed with relational wisdom. But may God bless our discussion of these words. You know, I think it is only common for space to happen between groups of people and individuals. Wouldn't you agree? I think in a political year when we're watching campaigns, we know what it is to have space between different peoples, whether Republican or Democrat. And there's a ton of space, isn't there? It seems like polar opposites as you watch commercials from one platform to another platform. We see the space and the hostility between those groups. This summer we observed space between uh, the police force and the African-American community. We, we saw what, what that can create. Um, I think we relate to space, too. Um, uh, just as a, a silly example, let's keep it light. Is anyone in fantasy football? Fantasy football, one person. Two, ah, there we go, there we go. Fantasy football, and, and you might know what it is to go and you see that friend that you just crushed because you had Matt Forte on your team and he had like three touchdowns. And, and, and what it is to kind of, you know, have that space because you won and they lost. Ha-ha. I was watching a TV show and I, I noticed some space between people uh, Dancing with the Stars, um, and I saw Ryan Lochte, and there was uh, some, some space between Ryan Lochte and some other people. There were some anti-Lochte people who actually rushed on and, and tried, I don't know what they were trying to do, whether they getting fisticuffs, I'm not sure, um, but, but there was so much space between their viewpoint and what Ryan did that there was hostility. The person who penned these words by inspiration of the Spirit He knows a thing or two about space. Let me tell you a little bit about Paul. Paul lands on the pages of Scripture as a Pharisee who is persecuting Christians. The first time we meet him, he's an accomplice to murder as Stephen is stoned. In other cases, as he's being converted, he's going someplace to put Christians into prison. Now, Paul would later have a change of heart and be converted. And can you imagine now being among that same group that you once persecuted? I wonder if Paul came across any relatives of Stephen. I wonder if any time he had this conversation, he was preaching in a synagogue, and he said, Paul, it's really hard to hear you because of what you stood by and let happen to my son or my brother and go from there. I wonder if he encountered any Christians who said, Paul, I know what you did. My family's in jail because of what you started. 
Or then consider how he reaches out to the Pharisees. That same person then goes back and says, no, we got to follow Jesus. And they must be like, no, everything that, that you were against, you're now for, that doesn't work. See, I think Paul knew a thing or two about space, about hostility. Do you know anything about space between people? Maybe there's some of you who came in and, and you're just having a difficult time with some people. Maybe it was a natural-born enemy. You've always been different. It's always been difficult. There are those people you just don't mesh with, and so space has just been created. What I want to tone you in on, though, is that this space is possible even among the closest of friends. I don't want you just to think of your natural-born enemy. I don't want you to think of the other political party. I want you to think about those who are closest to you. Whether it be your, your bestie, your BFF, whether it be your spouse, whether it be your kids, whether it be your parents. And here's what I want to clue you in on. That this thing we call space is an inevitability. Can't even say it. Inevitability. There we go. And, and it's an as ev- in, in, inevitable, can't say it, as, as, a, as a crash in NASCAR. It's as inevitable as a collision in football. It's as inevitable as frost in winter. It is just going to happen, my friends. And the reason this is the case, and, and, and first of all, before I move on to this point, I just want to say that this can be comforting. And you're like, how is that comforting? How is space comforting? Here's how it's comforting. It's comforting because if you currently have space in an important relationship, it doesn't mean it's doomed. It doesn't mean it's done. It doesn't mean it's over. It just means it's normal. Welcome to the team. You got space? Yeah, we know what you're saying. It's normal for space to occur, but why does it occur? It's because of something in us. It's because of what we, something we call sin, a sin nature. If you're not a church person, I love describing sin as just lovelessness. See, all of us have been loveless at one time or another, loveless in the way we think about people, loveless in what we said, loveless in what we did. And this lovelessness, don't, don't, don't make a mistake, it will create space. Look at what the prophet Isaiah said about sin. He said, but your iniquities have, what is that word? Separated. Your iniquities have separated you from your God. There is space because of sin. And and we sin against each other, so space happens. And and if you're not a Christian or if you're watching online, one of the big takeaways you need to know is that naturally you have space between God. Do you know that? Naturally, because you have disobeyed, there has been lovelessness, there is space between you and God, and that's, that's critical for you to understand. But let me share you the heart of God, space created by sin. The heart of God is this. The heart of God says, yes, space may happen, but I'm not going to let it remain. See, what we've come to hear is that though naturally we should have been separated by God, God did something about it to bring us close See, God sent this man named Jesus. And Jesus did what was necessary so that those who were enemies, us and God, could come together and have fellowship so that we could be tight, so we could be besties, so that we could be better than besties. We could be sons and daughters of the Most High God. And Jesus, he did this. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. He said he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. If you split apart atone, it just means he made us at one The sacrifice of the cross, the blood that he shed, was enough so that those who were enemies could now be united. You right now today are united 
Through faith in Jesus, you are close. There is no space because of what Jesus has done. I don't care if it's your first time hearing it. This message is for you. That because of Jesus and what he's done on the cross, you are close. You have the right to be called a son and a daughter of the Most High. This is awesome. But I have a question, Christian. I have a question. Do you desire the same as God desired? Are you going to be after the things God is after? Are you going to be content with what your own heart feels? Or are you going to strive to have a heart that has God's intentions in mind? A heart that says, yes, space may happen, but I'm not going to let space remain. People are too important that I'm going to do what I can so that space will be eliminated. If that's your heart, we have some direction. If that's your heart, I have some hope for you. And Paul speaks all about it. Well, as we go on and as we try to, again, conquer the space that happens between us, I wanted to refer to what shouldn't happen. What shouldn't happen. I want to talk a little bit about insincerity. I've been struck by a series of commercials by City Card, and they're commercials that indicate what people actually mean, what happens if they actually said what they mean. And it, it pictured a, a couple on a date. And I don't know if you saw it. Anyone see this? And they're ending the date, and, and uh, if they actually said what they mean, the, the guy would have said at the end of a poor date, you know, I'm going to send you a vague text that leaves you com- confused about how I feel. And then the woman responds and says, you know, I'm going to wait a full two days to get back to you. And they smile, and, and then as she gets into the taxi, he says, we're never going to see each other again, are we? And she says, uh-uh, you know, no, no. <laughs> if they actually said what they mean. Or there's one with a, a constructor uh, uh, for, for home repairs, and it's great. You know, and, and just about you know, the price being different and the timeline skewed, if they actually said what they meant. Does this thing ever happen in church? That you don't say what you actually mean? Let's be real. It does, doesn't it? You've had that experience, right? You know, there's certain church examples. If they made a church commercial, you know, we ask people, how you doing? Well, I'm just, I'm just doing great. I had a great week. If you were real about it, yeah, I cried myself to sleep on Wednesday, coped in all the wrong ways that I don't want to tell you about. I have survived to get to this point in my life, and the kids were horrible today. Thank you very much. I'm doing great. God is good. Right? We, we struggle to put on airs, don't we? we? We try to keep it surface. You know, I know all about this. I'm a PK, right? I saw it all the time. This is the surface level. Which is why, at my heart, does anyone just crave to be real with each other? Does anyone just crave a space where you can just be broken and say, I'm broken today? I consider, if this is a hospital... What happens if the patients never talk about what's going on? What if they go to the doctor day in and day out? I'm doing good, doing good. I'm dying, but I'm doing good. It can't be the case. Not if you're going to get the remedy. See, I I, want to create a space, whether it be small group or or a conversation or or people that you meet, that, that you can just break it down and be real. Hopefully you sensed in me trying to set that tone. I want to be real with you but I also want to set the fine line of trying to be an example at the same time, and that's a dance, my friends. It's a dance. Let's be real. Because this is what Paul said. 
His first word. So I am going to get into it. Verse 9, it says, Love must be, can you say this word with me? Love must be sincere. Sincere love. Can't be surface love and sincere love. I just want to, I want to jump on this. I want to talk about this idea and talk about three qualities that I think sincere love is all about. So here's one of them. Sincere love is appropriately honest. Anyone pick up how I said appropriately honest? See, we're in the Midwest and we, we, we speak our minds. And that's good, my friends. I'm among you. But do you know not everything in your head needs to be said? Do you know that? There is such a thing as a godly filter. Okay? All right. So we got that covered. But at the other point, at the other vantage point, if you just keep it surface, if you just keep it here, you will never be able to go deep with anyone. You won't. They won't know who you truly are. They won't know how to speak to what's truly going on. It will just always stay surface. I consider Jesus' relationship with Peter. Let me just tell you a little bit about interactions. At certain times, Jesus would praise Peter. Okay, there was one time where Peter said, you're the Messiah who's come into the world. And Jesus was like, yeah, amen. It's good. It's a good word. I'm going to build my church on that confession. It's good. But there were other times where it didn't go down that way. He was appropriately honest. There's this one time he's like, Peter, I need you. I need your help, man. Would you just pray with me? Because the next day is going to be really hard for me. Would you just pray with me? And as he brought Peter into it, and Peter didn't pray and he fell asleep, he's like, you kidding me? Couldn't you? I needed you. Couldn't you just watch and pray for one hour? I needed you, Peter. There's this one time where, where Jesus was telling him, I'm going to die for the sins of the world. And Peter's like, no, 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 that's not going to happen. And he's like, get behind me, Satan. That is not the word of the Lord. Right? He was appropriately honest so that they could go deep, and they had a deep relationship. I don't know if you saw his reinstatement. Do you love me, Peter? It's the only way to get deep is to be appropriately honest. Let's do that with each other. Open up. There, there's no way to get a remedy unless we hear about the problem. Okay? Do it with people you feel safe around. Do it with people who love you. But we need this appropriate honesty. That's what sincere love is all about. Next thing. Sincere love is displayed by actions over words. Actions over words. Actions over words. And this reminds me of, um, give you the bad example, of a boy growing up. Anyone notice how God made boys physical? Anyone? Okay. No one has. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I've lost you. But God has made boys physical. And I remember this growing up because of how many times the little boys threatened to fight you. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know if anyone else had that experience, but in Beaverdown, Wisconsin, there were people who wanted to get into fisticuffs. And they were loud about it. I'm going to take you down, right? You know, and, and there's a lot of that. I'm going to fight you. I'm going to go at you. I'm going to fight you. I'm going to go at you. These were future alpha males, you know, trying to strut. But a funny thing happened. As much as they did this, you know how many fights I actually saw? Like two, ever. And that's a good thing. Because what happened, these same people, if they got challenged, if someone was like, what? They go, ah, you know, and, and, and we have a phrase for that, don't we? We say that when it comes to that, their bark was way bigger than their, than their bite, right? Insincere love, I think, does this. I'm going to love you well. I want what's best for you. I hope it goes really well, man. We can do this together. Oh, but you want me to help you with that problem? 
Oh my goodness. You want me to actually spend time and pray for you? Come on. We run the other way, and this shouldn't be, my friends. We should have a, a bite in a godly way that's way bigger than our bark. We should be known by loving and action, not just words and sentiments. In fact, there was a proverb that said this. Look at this proverb. It says, don't withhold good from those whom it is due. When it's your power to act, don't say to your neighbor. Don't just speak stuff. Come back to me tomorrow and I'll give, you, give it to you when you already have it with you. How about we create a community where we're just known for doing awesome stuff, right? Like, look at that person serve. That's an awesome person. Look at that person love. And we don't even have to hear them say what they're doing. That we, we just see it. And people just know. That's what we should be about. Back to Jesus. Do you know the day of our salvation was characterized by silence? Do you know that? Isaiah even spoke about how Jesus, when he was winning, said nothing. Look at, look at these words. Look at this prophecy. It said, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearer is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. There wasn't a point in Good Friday where he said, hey, look at me. Look at how much I love you. Pay attention. No. No, he just invited people to look. Say, wow, he's doing a lot, isn't he? And he invites us to look back at the page of the scripture. Wow, that... No one's done as much for me as Jesus did. No one's loved me like that. Let our actions speak way louder than any words. Can I tell you my favorite point? My favorite point is next. Are you ready? You thought I got to my favorite. It's not my favorite yet. It's my favorite point. If you take one thing away. Sincere love craves for, not from. For, not from. For, not from. This past week, I went to uh, Buffalo Wild Wings, got myself some traditional wings. I don't know if there is a way to eat traditional wings without creating an epic mess. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, I get boneless. You can do the fork and knife with boneless. I don't do that. I just, even with boneless, I don't know, you know. But I don't think there is a way to, again, eat traditional buffalo wings without just an epic mess. And, and consider with me the plight of the napkin. This is ridiculous, I know. But consider with me, the napkin is there, and, and you don't ask the napkin how it's going to be used, how often it's going to be used, where it's going to be used, and I have a runny nose, so I don't want to get into details, but anyway, um, and, and, and we use the napkin, and, and, and pretty much for me, it's like one wing, one napkin, or one bite, one napkin, and, and, and go from, I don't know what it is for you, but anyway, and, and we, just, we just do that with the napkins, and then we toss them aside, and there's our debris. Right? You know, because we've used the napkin. If we want to come back to the napkin, we might use because we ran out. I always run out, so I have to go back to the napkin, use it again. Right? Thank you for following me with that silliness. Here's the point. If you use people or people use you like a Buffalo Wild Wings napkin, that is not sincere love. It just ain't. If you get the impression that all they want is what they can milk out of you, what they can use you for, what they might get from you, that is not sincere love. That may be a boss-employee relationship. They may be at worst-case manipulation, but it is not sincere love. See, sincere love will always care. It will always care way more about how you're doing than anything you can do. 
Do you get that? It'll always care way more about how you're actually doing than anything you can do. See, sincere love is a giver, not a getter. Care way more about what I can give to you and help you than I can get and suck from you. Sincere love is willing to risk it all so that you might have what you need to go forward. Let me show you the heart of Jesus. It says for. Can you say that word? For. For, not from. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And what was Jesus working for? What was that joy? I believe it was the Father's will. That I'm going to work not for my will, but for the Father's will and give him glory. And I also believe that for was you and it was me. I'm going to win him, Father. The joy before me is them, is fellowship with them. Not because we need them, but because we want them, because we love them. And if you haven't considered this lately, it can rock your theological paradigm when you understand God wants way more for you than he ever asked from you. That is the gospel of our Lord. He's a good God, isn't he? Let's be about sincere love. Could this speak to the space that happens? I believe so. Well, now that I've preached on two words, <coughs> still not done. Anyway, um, don't worry, we'll come back to this. I wanted to close with one final section of this um, big picture item here. And go with me, please, if you could, to uh, verse 18. Verse 18, it says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace at, with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. First of all, I love that phrase, if it is possible. If it is possible. Do you know sometimes peace is not possible? Space will happen. Sometimes haters are going to hate. And there's nothing you can do about it. Okay? But then another qualifying sentence, as far as it depends on you. See, so often when space occurs, we get thinking, but if they would just apologize, but if they would just change their ways, but if they would just see how I feel. And Scripture says nothing about that mentality. Scripture has everything to do with what you're going to do with it and changing yourself, and driving it home. See, space is about what we're going to do going forward. And one of the biggest things we can do is creating a pathway of peace is have empathy. I was listening to a great sermon all about empathy as a pathway to peace uh, by Pastor Clay Scroggins. And uh, this is what he said about empathy. He said, empathy is first aid in any relationship. Let me describe what empathy is. Sympathy is seeing how people could feel and logically, you know, getting there, seeing how they can feel. Empathy is feeling what they feel. Feeling what they feel. And, and, and this was illustrated by a, a golfing metaphor. Um, uh, and, and so in golfing, I don't know if you've ever played the game, uh, whenever you putt, uh, you, you line it up. And what this dude is doing is he's seeing where the ball might go from his perspective, where it might break, so that when he puts the ball, um, it might go in the hole. Well, every now and then, if you're a good golfer, you see the pros, what you'll do is you actually walk to the other side. This guy will actually come around here, and, and, and what he's doing is he's seeing, did I miss anything? Maybe there's a different perspective I can have if I just walk along and see that it would break a different way. Okay? Empathy is doing the long walk around. In any issue where there's space, you, you might say, well, I see it this way, and that's how it broke. But empathy is going around 
And it's trying to put yourself here. Oh, I can see that now. It's feeling what that other person felt. Back to Jesus. Love Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus wasn't just contented to think about how they might feel. Well, I, as God, I might think what you're going through. No, 100% true God crammed himself into the human flesh so that when he speaks to us, he says, I feel what you feel. You've been betrayed by people, I feel that. Been hurt by people, feel that. People left you. People didn't give you unfailing love. I feel that all day long. How awesome to have a God who empathizes with us. As we address the space, let's take the long walk to try to feel what's on the other side. And let us pursue sincere love. May it be known of us that we love like Jesus. Amen.